Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. What device are you using right now? How are you listening to this? On your personal computer, an office computer, a tablet, your phone? Whichever device you use the most throughout the day, do you control it? Or does it control you? Maybe that feels a little heavy-handed or dramatic, but it's an essential question for our time. When it comes to your relationship with technology, who's in control? How free is your will. Today's episode features Nashville-based artist Derek Webb. With a career spanning 25 years, Derek consistently creates music that challenges his audience and his own artistry in new ways with every record he puts out. And in 2012, he released a concept album called Control. It was overlooked, ignored, and rejected by many of his fans, which we'll talk about. And yet, the album is an utterly thought-provoking and uniquely creative work of art. An ethereal, folk-electronica choral opus about men and their machines. I came into our conversation thinking I had a pretty good grasp on the featured song's story, only to discover that, for years, I've been missing a huge chunk of it. I know that's pretty vague right now, but trust me, it's cool. Now, to get on with the show, and to set the most proper tone for it, I hereby yield the remainder of this introduction to Flannery O'Connor, who said, quote, Art never responds to the wish to make it democratic. It is not for everybody. It is only for those who are willing to undergo the effort needed to understand it. Hey, my name is Derek Webb. I'm an artist from Nashville, Tennessee. This is a song from my 2012 record, Control. It's called I Feel Everything. I am not sure I want this to take what it's taking But that just seems to be the choice I am making Mother, this is all I ever wanted Now how do I get back to where there isn't everything Only you I cannot hear because I hear I find it is not 
satisfaction It's not the life I always dreamed Or imagined It is not wisdom It is not strength It is not control It is a promise meant to quell my every fear, yeah, leave me cursed. I cannot hear because I hear everything. I cannot see because I see everything. Nothing left, no life or death, no will that's free. I have no way now to explain what's come over me. I'm just a body overwhelmed and lying still. Of knowing what I want and wanting what I know, I cannot hear because I hear everything, I cannot see because I see everything.
there's obviously a lot going on in the track. And I think that this track in particular, as far as the production on it is concerned, it's got a little bit of everything that is kind of offered throughout the album. You know, it's got the mm. kind of a little bit of the stripped acoustic production, uh, smooth vocals. It's got a section that there's these this very kind of ethereal uh, ambiance is created. And it's got sound effects. Uh, namely in the form of the beeping uh, from signifying the death. And then it's right. got the sacred harp music, which I think I was only a little bit familiar with that from, you know, hearing some of Sufjan Stevens's music. Um, so does, he, I, does he use uh, any sacred harp stuff? I think he has. I don't know if it's, you know, official... He's definitely a big choir guy, but I didn't know if I'd ever heard him do the because Sacred Harp is such a peculiar, you know, style and such a peculiar, specific kind of thing. It um, is, it is, and I don't think I was really too familiar with it until this project. Most people aren't. It's it's a really weird style of singing. It's a it's a it's a, and it's only really happened a handful of times. Like very particular, peculiar groups have have used shape note or Sacred Harp style singing. Um, yeah, I was pretty taken with it the second I heard it. It's like a a lot of weird parallel fifths and a lot of things that, that you don't really want to do that tend to not sound very good, that tend to sound kind of abrasive. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it sounds, a lot of it sounds very creepy to me. Like it's a really weird thing. Um, but as soon as I heard it, I knew it had to be part of the sound of the record. So yeah, abrasive is, is a, is a good word for it, but not in a bad way by, by any means. (laughs) Um, it's it's abrasive in that it's it's gripping, it's confusing while being attractive, which is weird. Mm. Um, so the first thing I want to ask, kind of diving into the lyrics, then the first line is, "I am not sure I want this to take what it's taking." I want to start with the pronoun, and I think this would be a good springboard for kind of explaining the concept of this album as a whole and where this track fits into it. So when you say, I'm not sure I want this to take what it's taking, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's a hard, it's a hard question to answer briefly because the album, it's unlike any of my other records. I don't know how many records I've put out in my solo career, maybe, maybe eight or nine. I don't really know, maybe seven or eight, but anyway, it's peculiar, ma- mainly in the way that it is a three-act story, and it follows a protagonist through a journey. It's a fictional story that I wrote um, that was really kind of a cautionary tale about culture's obsession and blind kind of pursuit of technology and kind of the dangers that could come by way of choices that we are making now that seem harmless but that are signing us up for things that grow into harmful things. And so the story essentially just being about a guy who kind of falls in love with his virtual life, falls in love with his computer, so to speak. And, and this was before the Spike Jones movie. It was before oh, you know, her. Like a, her. Yeah. yeah. Um, which it's like two years later, Spike Jones comes out with this beautiful movie on almost exactly the same premise. Right. And, and then every, and everybody thought it was so great and loved it. And I was like, you know, apparently I was just too early to that conversation. But like, it was really challenging to make the control record on every front. And it took me a long time to make. I was super proud of it. And it just hit the market like a rock because who has the time for 
you know, a three act, you know, electro rock opera about the singularity. Like nobody has the time for that. And so, um, like it really requires a lot of attention, which I know is in short supply. And, um, well that's, so that's kind of my process. You know, whenever I get a new album, I kind of treat it like a book or a film in that I will, I will turn it on and I will either sit there or lie down and listen to it all the way through. And this album is, you know, designed for that. Well, and thank you for that. Unfortunately, what I would go even further to say that this album requires that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's why most people just didn't really get it or didn't really respond to it. Um, So all of that was in an effort to try and answer your question, which is this, that the this that our protagonist is saying, you know, is referring to there is essentially the choice that he's made. I mean, it's, it is, it is an easy way to say it. It's, it's his choosing to pursue a rabbit hole, the bottom of which he didn't see before he jumped. So, because that song comes at the end of, let's say the second act. And so it ends with what seems to be his death. As you said, the end of the song ends with this beeping and then eventually this flat line and the flat line doesn't actually pick back up and begin very irregularly beating again until the first song of the third act, which is called Reanimate. It's what comes just after it. Um, and if you're only paying a little bit of attention, then you think that that's the point at which he just dodged the bullet and was a near-death experience but came to again and reanimates all about how grateful he is to be alive still and then the end of the record that third act is all about kind of him seeing the whole thing as a cautionary tale and warning against anyone else taking going on this particular pursuit and you know which if you pay a little more attention you realize there's a missing third act that actually makes reanimate on a fourth act and it's actually a totally different story it's not a comedy it's a tragedy but you wouldn't know that just by listening to Control only. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll tell you. Please. <laughs> so before the Control record came out, maybe six months before, I don't remember how long before, I released a record with a few um, friends at the time under another band name called Sola Me, the Latin of which would would roughly mean only me, me alone. Sure. And it was and a, a friend... Uh, uh, Tifa Phillips sang the lead on it. I wrote the songs and another pal of mine did the production. And the three of us were this band and we called ourselves Solo Me. And we put this record out, this EP, this like six song EP, the title of which was the official soundtrack to the film Nexus. And was there, was there a film called Nexus? So, so what people didn't know at the time was that we because we also did interviews with the director of this film who was a who was a like a a European guy um, we we did interviews about how that job came to us that someone had asked us to do this soundtrack for this independent sci-fi film and and that's what we were putting out and working on together and we and what we didn't reveal till much later was that the whole thing was a lot of pageantry and we'd actually made the whole thing up there was no film we had an actor play the part of Solomon Mente who was the the director of the film and the writer of the film the whole thing was totally made up so so this is the Blair Witch project of albums it, it, it was essentially just a lot of misdirection for us to be able to release the Solomi project without anybody really thinking too hard about it because the Solomi project was Essentially, and, and and what supposedly the film was about, so um, the Nexus film, was about a compu- about the first computer waking up. 
in the, the moment of the singularity, the first computer that wakes up and doesn't know where she is and who she is and how she got there and how she knows everything. And so it's a six song journey of the first computer waking. And so we put that out. And then six months later, started, I started to talk on my own about my new record that was coming out, which was Control. And we had crafted all of this long beforehand in order for the Solo Me EP to be able to be dropped into the song sequence of the Control record to, look, to seamlessly create a missing third act and change the story. Okay, so Only I, a handful of people caught this or even know about it. Okay, so so, so, I, so I need to so I need to yeah. <laughs> so the I, end <laughs> of the I feel everything track where the where the, the where where it goes flatline. Yeah, there's a little intro track to the Solo Me record, but the first kind of official track, which is called Mother Mother, it actually opens with a flatline tone, which no one really thought about because we released it six months previous. And if you drop it in between songs seven and eight on the control record, it actually seamlessly, without even a clip, goes directly into that opening track of the Solo Me record. And the last track on it ends with beeping, which then picks back up in song eight seamlessly back into the control record. Okay. Um, so I need to put Solo Me in between I Feel Everything and Reanimate. Yes. All right. Because what you learn... Thank you for telling me this. Sure. So what you learn by doing that is that it's actually because a comedy technically is where the protagonist the protagonist winds up in as good or a better position than he was when he started and a, and a tragedy is where he doesn't you think that the control story is a comedy i mean technically because at the end of the story he it's like a near death experience and he has all this flood of gratefulness and 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 perspective and and vows to never ever do that again and this whole thing so it seems like he wound up all the better for it what you realize when you drop the soul of me record in there is that it's actually he does die it's not he it's not him that wakes up but rather the computer that came awake in the soul of me story wakes up in his place and basically takes over his body what? and like sees the opportunity and comes into the world what? And, and another way you know that is latifah phillips who sang the soul of me record takes over my vocals in the last song on the control record. My vocals start to fade away and her female vocal takes over and sings the last stanza of the last song on the control record, which if you don't know about all this would have seemed odd. Yeah. Um, but not, not odd enough for you to have gone Googling about it. Um, oh my gosh. How often yeah, do you like talk? I said, like I said, we worked really hard on this. <laughs> How often do you reveal this to people? Well, so it, when people, when I realized, because see, the record before this one was a record called Stockholm Syndrome, and we had done this this kind of ARG marketing thing around it that actually was a response to the record being censored by the record label at the time. Yeah, yeah. And and we had gotten my crowd really good at following coordinates, looking at source code on websites to find clues. Like they were really astute at that at that time. And I think they were all kind of looking for that when we were putting out the control record. And so we were actually, we did a lot to prepare people and show people and hide links and hide uh, Easter eggs and, and, and people just weren't picking it up. And so we decided just to leave it that way. But after a while, I did actually write a blog about it. I didn't really say much about it. I just wrote it and put it up on my Tumblr and just left it there. Um, revealing this secret. So it's not like it's 
a total secret. It's sure. definitely discoverable, but you would have to find your way to my old Tumblr blog, which I've not posted on for many years, to find the entry about the thing I just told you. Oh my gosh. Do you, so do you think it, it maybe didn't, or I, I guess when you revealed it in that way, do you think maybe it, it just didn't catch on as much because control didn't didn't quite land? Exactly. Yeah, because people weren't, um, I think that the control record was the height of my testing the boundaries of my audience's attention. <laughs> and because I really felt like I could just do anything, you know, you know, and they would just kind of come along for the ride. And what I realized was, okay, I've just pushed one foot too far in the wrong, on the wrong side of obscurity here. Like this has gone a little too abstract. And, and I, and I realized I was basically, and that's okay. It was actually fine to realize. And it, and it was a good, it was good to know I was at the end of that cycle. Um, but you know, it's like you, as a writer and as an artist, you, you do things and sometimes, sometimes people like the things you, you make and sometimes people don't like the things you make. Sometimes people resonate. Sometimes people don't, you can't predict it ever, um, which way it's going to go. And when you find that you go through a season where a lot of people really did, and you should, it's incidentally never, ever craft anything in order to get people to like what you're doing like yeah. that should never ever be a concern or a preoccupation of an artist but sure sure but but, but i mean I, you know when you get to the end of a season where you really feel like you've got a lot of people's attention and people are are kind of with you for a minute i tend to see those moments as an allowance from which i can now draw to to agitate and confound people for a while until i until it runs out and and I think I just hadn't realized that it had run out just prior to my releasing control. And so, yeah, people just weren't really that interested. It just wasn't. And, and it was also simultaneously my most and least personal record ever. It was my most personal because I was able to write it from the perspective of a character. So there were things about the narrative that were more revealing than anything I'd ever written in yeah, 15 yeah, years yeah. at that point. But no one, it was like, it was like Andy Kaufman. Like I was the right. only one who knew the punchline. So no one, or, or, or people were looking at a map and I was the only one who had the key to it. So it's like, I understood where all the Easter eggs were and all the kind of emotional bodies were buried all over that record, but nobody else did. And so it made people feel like I was so detached from it that it's like, oh, this is not really interesting because there's no Derek on this record. And I think people the few people who have resonated with my music and followed me for at this point in my career, at least up to that point, they, they listened because they wanted to hear my vulnerability and my story. And in, as far as they resonated with that, they stuck around and they were interested and they would support it. And I think that they just didn't realize how personal of a record that was because I had hidden it so well, but that was necessary for me to have been that sure. vulnerable at that time. And so that's what happened, I think. And therefore, like, I mean, I remember like a month into the tour having to just kind of pull the whole thing down, what? kind of really? cancel it because people just weren't, oh yeah, yeah. I toured it for about a month and I, and I actually Latifah's band, the girl who sang on the Soul of Me record, a great singer, her band who are called Paige CXVI, they were super good pals of mine. She had sang on that Soul of Me record and obviously knew all about this whole thing. And so her band came out with me on that control tour opened for me their band opened and then they backed me as my band performing the control record and we we performed it 
Um, and I, I was performing the whole record every night with their, with their support and was, had, and, and had even between songs, um, had pulled excerpts from the fictional narrative that I had written the story, um, that the record was based on. That is also hidden on that Tumblr blog, the whole, oh the whole narrative, you can read it. Um, uh, the, the story of soul of me, the story that I wrote, um, and, uh, or the, the control narrative story rather. And, um, so I was reading excerpts from it between songs in order for people to follow the story. So it was literally like dinner theater or something. It was so strange. I was loving it. I was having such a good time watching everybody be so confused. <laughs> people just pick yeah. your wedding dress. I was like doing this weird yeah. art, spoken word weirdness. And, but basically, I mean, in a, in a handful of cities, there were more people on stage than there were in the audience. And so it, sure. it just wasn't connecting with people. And, uh, and I understood why in hindsight, but, I'm also a pragmatist, and so I knew I couldn't afford to keep that thing on the road. And it was just – it was hard. It was d- demoralizing to have worked for two years on something and have nobody show up. So so I basically pulled the tour – while I was on that month of touring, started writing immediately for my – I had to kind of abandon the control record because I knew I wasn't going to get any touring season out of it. And I And that's – you know, you put a record out, you hope that you have at least a year of touring on it. And I realized I wasn't going to have that. So I started immediately like in green rooms and hotels writing another record so I could cancel the tour, come home, quickly turn around with another record, put that out and hope to get back on the road. And which is what I did. Um, so I kind of had to, but the, the thing I was proudest of in my whole career, which is that control record, um, I had to basically abandon, oh cut bait gosh. on and well, come man. home. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Crazy story. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's a strange, it's a strange season. Yeah, I mean, so my, my, my hope with this, with everything that I'm, that I hope this podcast becomes is that it helps people look at, you know, individual songs, but also the art and the form of the song and music and the concept of the album in a new way, a way that I think that we lost when iTunes forced every song to, to be released as a single and stripped uh, it would be like selling individual chapters of a book if people only bought chapters of a book. That's exactly right. Well, but only if people, I mean, so essentially we, we live in a market of essayists now and people don't write novels anymore when it comes to the, to, to music. Like that's like most people don't operate inside of the album format. That's kind of a, uh, kind of an antique now. And now I still do, I, I make every record I make is a concept record, but um, but the control record is the most heavy-handed one I've easily ever done. Yeah, and, and I th- I think it's fair to say that it it feels very different as a concept record because it's you know you're not necessarily singing as yourself in every song. While there are elements of you in it, you know you're singing in the first person, but from the perspective of a of a character. Yes, and so that's just a it's a totally different type of concept. It's a complete um, departure. I've never I've never done it before and I haven't done it since, you yeah. know, but it was an incredible exercise as a writer. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that whole process very much. Well, uh, jumping back into the lyrics and this yes. is, this, this is where I think maybe we'll be able to point out, I guess, spots, uh, to, to a lot of your fans as well, who may have been disappointed that there wasn't as much of you in it. You know, the second verse, uh, is it is not peace. I find it is not satisfaction. It's not the life I always dreamed or imagined. It is not wisdom. It is not strength. It is not control. It is a promise meant to quell my every fear, yet leave me cursed. I feel like 
I am by no means Amish when it comes to technology. No, neither am I. But but I really, really try not to be on my phone constantly. And, right. And especially because I've got young kids, I want to be present I to did, them. Yeah, so do I. That's right. When, when I'm out with other people, I'm kind of the annoying one. You know, when other people are on their phones, uh, right. I'll, I'll say something annoying so that they get off and are present to the people around them. So, but even so, there are moments when I I acknowledge. I have been on this way too much today, right? And it's it's taking away uh, a feeling of peace, of joy. It's just kind of clouding my mind, right? And so it it seems to me like the language that you use here in the verses that on a personal level you must have experienced this in some form, big or small. Oh yeah, well I think the the motivation behind a record like Control it was. It reminds me of like this this great John Lennon quote that I love so much where it was during like all of the Vietnam War protests, wars over if you want it, the bed-ins and all the things that he and Yoko Ono were doing. And, and, and a journalist asked him like, what is it with you in the peace movement? Why are you so obsessed with the peace movement and peace? Like what's, what, what is it about that that you're – and John Lennon said, I'm so obsessed with peace because I know myself to be such a violent man. Oh, yeah. And 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 I think we become obsessed with the things we fail at, the things that we do poorly, the things that we you know, we, we are ultimately as writers in our own crosshairs. Even if we are attempting to intentionally not do that, we are maybe never more in our own crosshairs than than those moments. And you kind of just can't avoid it. You can't get out of your own out of out of the scope of your own uh, your own gun, and so I think that because I am very technology obsessed, I'm like you know I, I, I use it for my work, I use it for I travel a lot, so you you have to get kind of savvy for a lot of reasons when when you do a lot of travel. We you know the and I have always glimpsed it as a potential threat to the intimacy that I have with the people around me, and and I ha- like you have small kids, and I. You know, I remember when my when my kids were very little. They're nine and ten now, but when my kids were very little, it only took one time for my sweet little baby girl to look at me and say, "Daddy, put your phone down and play with me." I mean, yeah, it only gosh. takes once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I literally like, you want to crack it over your knee, you know? You, right. And uh, and you know, so and I, I think it was a lot of that, and I think it was also at the time my just curiosity and study of kind of Moore's Law and the Singularity and Ray Kurzweil and just a bunch of those futurists and folks who were talking about the, the potential and the dangers. And now, you know, you, you have Elon Musk talking about the same things and, and a lot more culture, ha, uh, you know, has responded a little more with, with, with some art about it um, that luckily came at a time when people were ready for the conversation, not two years prior to it, like-minded, but um and and so I think that all of that's what went into my writing it, and I for sure saw myself in you know in the character completely you know so sure the um the the chorus as it jumps into it uh, I I cannot hear because I hear everything I I cannot see because I see everything I cannot feel because I feel everything um you know as as I hear it sung it it, it makes me think of those the moments when I get most frustrated with screens and images and the constant barrage 
of noise that, mm-hmm. that surrounds me. It has that feel to me, the way you produced it, the way you sing it, those very simple but very particular words. You can hear everything to the point where you feel like nothing is isolated, nothing is particular, everything becomes abstract and uh, confusing. And there's that kind of ethereal part uh, in the song. I think it's between the second chorus and the third verse. And uh, have have you seen the the film Get Out? Oh yeah, actually, I just saw it for the first time very recently. That's kind of the image that I have is when the, when the the lady tells him sink into the floor. Oh my god! I know. And he starts. Crazy. Yeah, and it's so trippy to watch, and you see him floating away, and he 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 can't really move. He's trapped in this strange place, but he can see his life, and he can see the screen before him like mm. th- this this is the image that comes into my mind now when this portion of the song is playing it's almost like someone who's trapped in this sunken place where they can't do anything yeah uh, all they can do is observe and well feel and like am i ever gonna get out of here yeah and fascinating that once you hear the record with the additional six songs in it i'm very curious I mean, that's going to become vivid because that's essentially, that's exactly what happens. I mean, he watches oh, his life slip away and like as soul, as, as soul of me, this, this sentient computer suddenly awakening and like brushing past him, seeing the opportunity, the crack of light to pursue into the world that she said so desperately wants to inhabit as that happens. Like that's kind of exactly what happens. And it's like, cause his story is, he wants to be in the box and she wants to get out of the box. And so like that crux point right there, that nexus, if you will, point is where they cross each other and they both kind of get what they wanted, but he realizes it wasn't really what he wanted. Um, he wasn't getting what he wanted. And she realizes that it's exactly what she wanted. And, and the other thing to, to realize it, that you, you may or may not have caught also, that was just another Easter egg that we, that we hid in plain sight with, with that was that, the soul of me record. I mean, it, we, we played with it being, you know, the, the Latin, the Latin, the rough Latin for, for me alone, only me. Um, since, since she was the first waking computer, but it's also, and you find these tones in this sequence quite a bit on both records. It's, it's also shape note singing. So la me, it's also the shape note, uh, yeah. which is the, uh, yeah. the, the choral foundation of the control record. And so it's just another, another one of those, connection points that we were trying to draw between yeah well dude i'm i'm really i'm really excited <laughs> about revisiting it now uh in this in this new context um getting towards the end of the song then yes. when when we hear the beeps and there's the death and the sacred heart music comes in do you remember all the words there because i've listened to it really closely several times trying to make out what they're saying and it's tough because of the way they're singing it See, here's here's what I've got. Here's what I wrote down. And tell me how accurate uh, my ears are here. It's, by my dear friends, for death is calling me and I must go. And then I have mumble, mumble, indistinguishable, where the mourners cease from mourning and the prisoner is set free, where the rich and the poor are both alike. Fare thee well, fare thee well, fare thee well, my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I missing there? I honestly don't remember. Okay. Um, 
but it wouldn't be hard to find. If you Googled most of those words, all of the sacred heart music we used were samples. They, they were, they were oh, really, yeah, all of it was, was samples that we found that were public domain recordings of sacred heart music. What? It's real. All of it's real. Um, it's, and it's and and most of it and all of the sacred heart music is um are hymns mostly all of them yeah yeah that i could tell so i kind of figured that you know yeah, yeah. Uh, so assuming that you hymn, yeah i don't remember which hymn that was but like there was a whole process before we even started recording any of this music including soul me that we had to go through and find all of the public domain turn of the century recordings of sacred heart music that we could find and then figure out what content, what keys it was all in, what BPM it was all at, and what content it all was in terms of which hymns that they were singing, and try to find the ones that in the Venn diagram matched up and could be conceptual content that went along with the record. And that's why what you just quoted was exactly what belonged in that that death, resurrection, but switcheroo kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! So much of this is blowing my mind. Um, <laughs> it's one of those records that be, either people have it's like a sleeper, and people just weren't really into it, didn't really don't really know much about it, and like maybe listen to it once, and or, or it can be like a point of obsession. <laughs> it's like it's kind of either one. That's how like people either totally slept on it and don't care about it, or it or really got into it, and unfortunately, they were not enough of the latter. Um, at least not back when we released it. This has kind of been the self-sabotage that I've always operated <laughs> under in my career is that my records all tend, like I've never made two alike. Like yeah. they're, they're every, because I was in a band for 10 years that had a very distinct sound and everything had to go through the filter of that sound. I think when I finally got free to do my own thing and be the sole decision maker about it, I have just chosen to swing hard right and left between every record. So I, I don't make it easy on myself. I'm already dealing with such a narrow segment of people who would be into what I do for a lot of descriptive reasons that by the time I put out a record and it's, and I've veered off into some other weird style that I've never made a record in before. And I'm about to do it again. Um, the bad thing is, is that I tend to kind of shake people off and I don't, I don't mean to do it. Some of those people will bear through the changes in style and whatnot because, because they, if they can find, if they hear my voice, which is the thing that they are looking for. And I mean, as a writer, if they can find that and they can identify with that, then they'll stick around. And, and so that I, I'm grateful for. But the other thing that's caused by that is there are people who wind up being fans of only one record because that sure. was the sweet spot for them. That was the sound they liked. And that was the, and so I wind up with, yeah, with people who only like this one record of mine and just don't really, are not really interested in, in any of the other ones. And that's okay. I mean, like, you know, I, I've done this job for almost 25 years. And so it's like when, when you, when that's the case, you get real grateful that anybody at any time for any reason resonates with or finds, discovers the music that you make. I don't care what record somebody likes. I don't care. You know, I'm just grateful that people are paying attention. I'm grateful that people are listening. Uh, I'm grateful to be found, even old records, you know, for people if it's the right record for a certain time. And that's also the magic of the internet. Like a record kind of 
comes out, so to speak, the day someone finds it. Right. And right. that's the magic. It's like everyone is having their own, in a, both a good and a bad way, maybe to bring it back to our topic, everyone's having kind of their own isolated experience of culture. Yeah, yeah. And like the day that you discover a particular piece of art is the day that that particular piece of art came out and really was released for you. And it's, it doesn't matter how old it is and it doesn't matter, you know, it, as long as it's found and consumed and meaningful in that moment, it's like everyone's on their own detached timelines. And, and so that's okay. Like, you know, and, and maybe in 20 years, a record like control will have some insane weird resurgence and all of a sudden it'll for some stupid reasons a bunch of people find it and love it and <laughs> you know and who knows what and or why but it's like you know you can't predict that sort of thing yeah and yeah. it's and it's well beyond my control so it's a thing i can't really consider or be preoccupied with you know right yeah well that was a i mean that was a the perfect way i think to bring it back around full circle yeah um and I appreciate you drawing some attention to it and being curious about it. Oh yeah, man. And I'm not doing it as a favor. Sure. <laughs> I'm doing it because it's, it has interested me. And I, I remember, I remember seeing a tweet from you, I think shortly after it came out. And again, this isn't verbatim, but it kind of stuck with me. And it was something like, I've never felt so artistically satisfied and so commercially like a failure. Yes. <laughs> I remember that moment and that feeling and, literally typing that and i think i i think i later deleted it yeah i went back looking for it uh and i couldn't find it i'm pretty sure i deleted it because it, it was like because you know what's funny about it is that was also that very tweet or whatever was also a a, a it was like the punctuation the unintentional prophetic punctuation at the end of that control season of me taking that feeling somewhere unsafe like what I needed to be doing at that moment is reaching out to say friends and talking to them about the feelings I was feeling right then. I did not need to be tweeting that. Um, and, uh, those were lessons, you know, those are lessons you learn with maturity over time. But, um, it's funny how that's not a bad punctuation on the whole idea of the story of control and what went wrong, you know? Yeah. You could say that you had no way to explain what came over you. You were just a body overwhelmed <laughs> <laughs> you could say that you could say that I am not sure I want this to take what it's taking but that just seems to be the choice I am making Mother, this is all I ever wanted Now how do I get back to where there isn't everything Only you I cannot hear because I hear I feel everything.
not peace I find It is not satisfaction It's not the life I always dreamed Or imagined It is not wisdom It is not strength It is not control It is a promise meant to quell my every fear Yeah, leave me cursed I cannot hear because I hear everything I cannot see
If you enjoyed my conversation with Derek and you'd like to check out more of his music, it's available on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, all those sites. I've put links in the show notes on songandstorypodcast.com, and I even included a link to Derek's Solo Me project. Check that out. If you're like me, and you still prefer physical copies, check out DerekWebb.com to purchase his albums. Finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash songandstory. It takes a surprising amount of time and creative energy to put one of these episodes together, so every little bit helps. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, as well as Song and Story Podcast on social media. You can find all those links, you can learn more, listen, and subscribe today at songandstorypodcast.com. I started to get really frustrated when the technology was not working for us to have this conversation. Oh, right. And and uh, I'm really glad we figured out a way to make it work here. Because oh. I'm <laughs> well, really maybe maybe Sol and me caught wind of what we were up to, and she's trying to to help keep, us. Uh, yeah. Well, or she was trying to keep you know keep all this from coming out. Oh so, yeah. Okay. Who knows? All right. Well, dude, I thank you so much for for this conversation. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's pleasure, yeah. Yeah, man, it was a joy for, joy for me to get to to discuss this with you. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, I really appreciate it. Well, go check out the record with the third with the missing third act and see how you feel about it. I have every intention of doing that.